Well, does it get any more fun than the Big 12 Conference? What a weekend it was. I'm Pete Mundo. We're Heartland College Sports Weekly, part of heartlandcollegesports.com, your independent Big 12 digital media outlet. We appreciate you guys joining us as we get set to recap Week 12 in the Big 12. Four games all decided by four points or less. Incredible football this weekend. Before we get going, uh, just a reminder, if you're catching this on the podcast, please leave us that rating, review, subscribe. If you're watching on Facebook Live or Periscope or YouTube, subscribe to our podcast because guess what? We drop exclusive podcast audio in the middle of the week that does not go on Facebook, Periscope, or YouTube. So check us out there. We're brought to you by mybookie.ag with the promo code BIG12. That's BIG12. They've got a great sign-up offer. We'll tell you about that here coming up in a couple of minutes. So we'll run down the games. We'll go start to finish, and let's kick things off in order with Texas Tech and TCU. The Horn Frogs win this game 33-31 in a game where bowl eligibility was on the line for both teams. Uh, both teams could desperately use a bowl appearance for the extra three weeks of practice for the young players on these rosters as they try to build the 2020. Now, if you look at this, TCU... Won the game, obviously. They've got OU and at West Virginia left. they got to win one of those two to become bowl eligible. And for Texas Tech, they have to beat K-State and Texas. A couple of weeks ago, I would have said highly unlikely. Right now, you know, both those teams are floundering a little bit. Not impossible. So let's go through this game here. Got off to a terrible start for Texas Tech. At home, the crowd was sparse to start things off. They go down 17-0. They've got no TJ Vasher. Jordan Brooks goes down, and they still make a comeback in this game. Now, the second half for Texas Tech, I thought was was um, there was some questionable coaching going on here, and here's what I mean by that. So Tech's down 27-16. They score a quick touchdown right out of the gates in the second half. They're down 27-22, and I said this at the time, so I'm not Monday morning quarterbacking here, but I genuinely did not understand going for a two-point conversion that early in the second half because you missed the two-point conversion. Then, later on in the quarter, Tech takes a 28-27 lead after scoring another touchdown, and at this point, you have to go for the two-point conversion once again. I don't know why you don't just kick the extra point there. You're down 27-23 instead, and a touchdown then puts you up a field goal. I mean, that made the most sense in that spot for Texas Tech. I don't know why Matt Wells felt the need to go for the two-point conversion, especially when you had that momentum coming out of the gates. And a failed two-point conversion, it's not make or break, but it does slow down your momentum a little bit. So while Matt Wells' guys fought back for him big time in this game, I was surprised by that two-point conversion call early in the second half. I don't know what the analytics say. Um, I, I buy into analytics sometimes, but not all the time. And that one uh, just didn't make any sense to me. And, you know, you can't say it costs them the game, but when you lose by two points and you had two failed two-point conversions, you know, you can certainly second-guess that, and I think it's fair to. Now, here's the deal, though. For this TCU defense, they continue to play really well. It has not been a great year for TCU. It hasn't been that bounce-back year for Gary Patterson like so many people expect it to be because when he goes 500 like last year, he bounces back with 10 wins. I never thought that was realistic because they were – Uh, uncertain at the quarterback position. But this defense, 
which went into play, ranked first in the Big 12, is now 10 for 10 in holding opponents below their total average offense. Texas Tech went into the game averaging 479 yards per game. They gained 402 yesterday. So for the TCU defense, which is not getting a lot of love because of how the team's playing as a whole this year, it has been really good. It's been really good, and that side of the ball has um, nothing to apologize for. You just have an offense that's working through a young quarterback and all the kinks that come with that. But I think Max Duggan is going to be a heck of a Big 12 quarterback. I mean, not just next year, but when you think about this guy in 2021 and 2022, uh, that is going to be a dangerous, dangerous situation for all of TCU's opponents. So Duggan yesterday finished up uh, 22 of 42, 323 yards, a pair of touchdowns, 18 carries for 75 yards and one score. In that first half, uh, especially, but throughout the afternoon, he was given way too much room to operate on the ground. Um, he is running when it breaks down early. Now, that's what young quarterbacks do, and he's got wheels. I hate to use the classic white guy term of sneaky fast, but Max Duggan is sneaky fast, all right? <laughs> you know, And he, he gets on the edge, and you know he's got good speed. He's got real good speed, and even it seems like it catches uh, defenses off guard. Now, the problem here in this game for Texas Tech is that while it gave up 226 rushing yards to TCU for 4.3 yards to carry, the Red Raiders only had 69, and Jet Duffy had 42 of them. Um, Jet Duffy, I thought, had a pretty darn good game. You know, when when um, Alan Bowman went down early in the year, I kind of goofed like, oh boy, now it's Jet. we got to see Jet Duffy again. But I'll be honest, you know, I, I, with the way Jet Duffy has played, he throws some good deep balls. You're seeing his maturity as a quarterback. I don't think it's a it's a done deal that Alan Bowman's the starting quarterback for the Red Raiders in 2020. I, I Jet Duffy deserves every opportunity with how he's played to be the starting quarterback next year. This team has not uh, failed to meet expectations because of the quarterback position. There have been some times when Duffy's made some dumb mistakes, but he's not the reason that the season hasn't turned out like Matt Wells would have hoped it to in the first year on the job. So you think about some games this year that Tech just missed out on, right? Uh, the Baylor game. Uh, this past week against TCU, I mean, a bounce one way or the other, and uh, this team is in a much different position, and the conversation around, around Matt Wells is also much different. So you've got Texas Tech losing that game to TCU 33 to 31. Game number two of the week, Oklahoma State rolling Kansas 31 to 13. And uh, with the injury to Tua Tungavailoa, right? And oh, gosh, just terrible to see that for the Alabama quarterback. Um, and with not much conversation in the Heisman race after, after the LSU quarterback, um, can we, after Joe Burrow, I blanked on his name there for a hot minute. Can we get Chuba Hubbard back in the conversation here? I mean, this guy yesterday, 25 carries, 164 yards, pair of touchdowns. He's now fifth all time in rushing yards in a single season at Oklahoma State. He's not going to catch Barry Sanders, but he will finish second all time at Oklahoma State. Uh, he is having an incredible season. And it just still feels like to me, He's not getting enough credit for it. He's just not. I, I know the running back to the game of football is not what it was a generation ago. But, man, this guy is the most lethal weapon in the Big 12. OU fans may have an issue with that because of Jalen Hurts. 
but I will firmly believe that Chuba Hubbard is the best offensive weapon in this conference, and don't at me. All right, don't at me on that one. So he's having a heck of a year. Spencer Sanders goes down with a thumb injury or a hand injury. Let's keep an eye on that. It is on his throwing hand, so we'll monitor that. But Drew Brown came in. The game was, for the most part, out of reach, but he looked pretty good. Um, And he may be one of the best backup quarterbacks in the entire conference anyway. So Spencer Sanders, 12 of 18 yesterday in the win over KU, 168 yards and one touchdown. He also rushed for 37 yards on 11 carries on the day. Uh, We'll see what's going on with the hand. But either way, the Oklahoma State turnaround from one in three in Big 12 play to now winners of three in a row and you got to say, with the way OU's playing and the way Oklahoma State's playing, this team has a chance in Bedlam, right? It's not a done deal that OU's going to win that game outside of the fact that Mike Gundy can't beat OU. If you actually just looked at these two teams on paper, um, it could be a heck of a game. But the story here for Oklahoma State is the defense. And this is something that Jim Knowles has gotten a lot of flack for here, rightfully so. You look at this defense now for Oklahoma State. They held KU to under 300 yards. It's the 12th time, just the 12th time in the Mike Gundy era that his team has done that against a Big 12 opponent. Hold a Big 12 opponent to under 300 total yards. They win the turnover battle 3-0 yesterday. And to see Jim Knowles' team during this three-game winning streak force turnovers is something that Oklahoma State fans have been dying to see for the entire Jim Knowles tenure. And I don't know if this is just a lucky streak, but it's starting to pay off. The first 20 games under Jim Knowles, his defense forced 20 turnovers. In the past three games, his defense has forced 10 turnovers. I don't think it's sustainable, right? I mean, you're going to force three-plus turnovers a game? No, you're not. But it's good to see this happening over a consistent stretch. And it's exactly what Oklahoma State fans have been wanting to see for the entire Jim Knowles tenure now, since he got the job last year. So, you know, it's good to see that balancing out. Oklahoma State fans have got to be pleased with how that side of the ball is playing. So, all in all, a good win for the Oklahoma State Cowboys, an expected win. And, by the way, that garbage touchdown might have been quite a bit to a few of you because um, the spread was, depending on where you got it, it was either plus 17, plus 17 and a half, or plus 18. We got in at plus 18. So we had a push in that game, but uh, that was a big garbage touchdown by Kansas at the end. And also, you know what else was big? Speaking of covering spreads, Texas Tech and TCU. So TCU gets a first down on the last drive of the game. If TCU had not gotten that first down, which allowed them to then run out the clock, they would have kicked a field goal, which means Tech would not have covered the three-point spread. I had Tech plus three. So I was very pleased by that. Going to be honest with you there. Very pleased by that uh, TCU first down because then it was just three kneel downs game over. All right, back to uh, KU Oklahoma State. The KU offense, what's happened there? You know, they have great games against Texas and Texas Tech. They score 85 points. Now the last two games against, uh, you know, K-State and uh, Oklahoma State, they've scored like 23 points. Carter Stanley has reverted back to the old Carter Stanley. They had three interceptions as a team. Stanley only had one of those. But, man, that trick play by Kansas. Thomas McVitie comes in. He's a um, guy who transferred in, was in a quarterback battle with Carter Stanley before the year. McVitie, on that trick play, rolls out right. They're looking downfield. Nothing's there. He tries to flip it over the middle, or not over the middle, down the sideline for like five yards. He gets picked off. That was 
horrible. Horrible. If you're a Kansas fan, you're like, dude, throw it out of bounds. The play's over. You're the backup quarterback. Don't screw it up. All right? Just don't screw it up. That's the only thing you're asked to do. Not screw it up. And he screwed it up. There's no wonder Thomas McVitie doesn't see the field. I mean, my goodness. And um, KU as well only had 39 rushing yards. You know, this is not the uh, – this is – well, Oklahoma State's forced turnovers, it's not a great rushing defense by any stretch of the imagination. Offensive line had trouble getting pushed up front for Kansas. And uh, Puka Williams, I think Puka, I mean, he's a great talent. He's a great talent. But he gets too cute at times back there, man. I mean, uh, now he will take a two-yard loss and turn it into a two-yard game. He's a great running back. But just sometimes he tries to turn a, a, I don't know, a three-yard loss into a 30-yard gain. It turns into a six-yard loss. He just, he gets too cute. He doesn't always try to get up and down the field. He's trying to go parallel, left, right, too many times. And it's just getting a little too cutesy. But the Oklahoma State defense, two sacks, five tackles for loss, five quarterback hurries. Uh, They're playing some good ball right now. So Oklahoma State taking care of business at home against against Kansas. So let's see how these two teams finish out the rest of the way. By the way, we're brought to you by, real quick, guys, mybookie.ag. And during Thanksgiving week, you know, we got a couple weeks left in the Big 12 season, but plenty of NFL left. Uh, during Thanksgiving week, my bookie's offering a risk-free bet on the Bears-Lions game on Thanksgiving. Simply choose a team against the spread for up to $250. And if you win, congrats, you've got extra holiday spending money. But if you lose, my bookie's going to give you your money back. So it's a no-brainer. You literally cannot lose in this game. Bears-Lions, bet the spread at mybookie.ag. And you cannot lose. Uh, you cannot beat it. So go to mybookie.ag, make your first deposit with the promo code BIG12, that's BIG12, and mybookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar to jumpstart your bankroll, and that's on top of a risk-free bet. So let's repeat that. Guaranteed deposit match, risk-free bet for Thanksgiving only. So if you're a football fan, not just Big 12, but the NFL, you don't want to let this opportunity pass you by. Once again, mybookie.ag promo code BIG12. You play, you win, and you get paid. All right, let's uh, continue here. Recap of the Big 12 games from Saturday and Week 12. And let's go to K-State, West Virginia. How about the Mountaineers? Goodness gracious. Now, first off for K-State, this is the most disappointing loss of the season. They dropped this game 24-20 at home to a Mountaineers team that had lost five in a row. Uh, The crowd seemed flat at Bill Snyder Family Stadium. The team was flat, and it set up this whole unexpected loss. By the way, little note to K-State. I know they weren't big on throwback unis under Bill Snyder. I'm cool with the throwbacks, but maybe let's not use throwback unis to 1988 when the team went 0-11. I thought it was a cool look, but maybe that's not the best throwback uni to use. Just a little suggestion because you kind of looked like that team at points, all right? Um, The Wildcats have been really struggling in the running game the last couple of weeks. They ran the ball 32 times, but only averaged 3.2 yards a carry. And this is one week after averaging just 2.0 yards a carry against Texas, despite James Gilbert being back for this game. So that was a disappointment. But I'll tell you what, the West Virginia defense, 
I know this team is sitting at the bottom of the Big 12 standings, but the West Virginia defense has been one of the most overlooked units in the entire Big 12 this season. Uh, two sacks, nine tackles for loss, six passes defended uh, against Kansas State. It is the real deal on that side of the ball. From the front end to the Stills brothers to the back end to guys like Keith Washington, it's a legit defense that Neil Brown has got to work with there. And now he may have his quarterback for not just the rest of this year, but 2020. Jarrett Dagey, the Bowling Green transfer, people have been calling for him. He finally gets his shot. He starts the game, and people are saying, Austin who? Uh, Dagey, 20-30, 234 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. He found his favorite target, George Campbell, five catches, 92 yards, and a couple of scores. And, you know, he can play the rest of the way and still maintain his red shirt. With the new red shirt rule, you can play in up to four games. So Dagey can play these final two games of the season, um, and he should. I, I mean, he looked good, man. And Austin Kendall, you know, at some point, you have to take out the fact that Austin Kendall was a four-star quarterback at a high school, and he played at OU. He didn't really play, but he was at OU. At some point, you have to get rid of that, and you have to say, what has he done on the field? And, you know, he was nine games in, and he hadn't really progressed all that much. He still wasn't all that accurate. He couldn't get the deep ball downfield all that well. It's time to move on. You know, outside of the resume, there was nothing that your eyes were telling you to justify sticking with Austin Kendall. Um, and Jarrett Dagey came in and, and looked the part and, you know, ran this offense much more efficiently and a whole lot better. So I don't see how you go away from Jarrett Dagey at this point. If you're Neil Brown, I don't think he will, but I don't know how you could possibly do it. And, you know, it stinks for Austin Kendall, but if you're the Mountaineers, you got to feel much better about where this program is heading because you feel like you've got your quarterback. And how many times did the broadcast crew yesterday? I think it was uh, Mark Jones and Dusty Dvorak in that game, if my memory's correct. They called him Seth Dagey a million times, the Texas Tech quarterback. Like, I can understand once or twice. It must have been half a dozen times. They called Jared Dagey Seth Dagey. I, I, listen, I've been there before. I've done play-by-play. Um... When I worked in Oklahoma at the high school level, Friday Night Lights, and then, of course, uh, when I was working in New York for a while at Wagner College, and now, of course, being in Kansas City, I'm doing a talk show here, so I'm not doing any play-by-play. We all make mistakes, right? Play-by-play is uh, much more difficult than it looks. But, guys, you know, it's Jared Dagey. Come on, man. Come on. But if you're Kansas State in this game, um, here's, here's something that got some criticism on social media I saw. Kansas State going for it on 4th and 12 of the West Virginia 36. I believe it was um, early in the third quarter or early in the fourth quarter yesterday. Saying, why did K-State go for it? Why not kick it? Um, Blake Lynch is not going to hit a 53-yard field goal. I mean, he's not. Blake Lynch had a long of 46 yards this year. He has not attempted a field goal longer than 46 yards. I'm not quite sure what the wind was doing yesterday in Manhattan. I can tell you over in Olathe, Kansas, where I live, uh, you know, there was some wind yesterday. I have zero faith in Blake Lynch hitting a 53-yard field goal, which is what it would have been from the 36. So I'm okay going for it. You know, punting it is, what's the point in doing that right there? I mean, you know, you can question the first, second, and third down calls, I guess, but I have no issue with uh, Kansas State going for it on that 4th and 12 in that spot. Uh, but Kansas State, you win the time of possession, you have more total yards, including more passing and rushing yards, fewer penalties, you're better on third downs, and you lose the game. 
And that is uh, that's that's tough for K State, and you're a 14 point favorite at home. That's just that's a tough tough loss for K State. By far their toughest loss of the season, and um, you know just just disappointing. Now this team's still going to a bowl game. The odds of them making a Big 12 title game were were almost slim to none anyway after losing to Texas last week. But still, that one is pretty painful yesterday, and it, it takes away some of the momentum from uh, from the way this season has gone for Chris Kleiman. Leave any comments, by the way, questions in Facebook Live or Periscope. We'll get to them if we can here throughout the, uh, throughout the show. All right, Iowa State and Texas. Let's dive into this game here, guys. Um, Iowa State finally wins a close game. You know, you're sitting at 6-4. and four. And if you're Iowa State, if you're an Iowa State fan, you got to be sitting here looking at this season and saying, gosh, we are a couple of plays away from being 9-1. and one. Between the Iowa game, the Baylor game, and the Oklahoma game. You are a, a literally, it's a cliche, but you are a bounce of the ball here or there from being 9-1 and one and, and, you know, in a primetime spot to play for a Big 12 title. And who knows what the college football playoff scenario is looking like. But, oh boy, it's just painful right now for Iowa State fans. As good as the win is, it's also painful in some ways. I'm feeling for you there. Okay, so let's talk about the game itself here. Um, Iowa State's up 10-7 at the half. And to be honest, at 10-7 at halftime, it felt like a loss after Texas scored that touchdown at the end of the half with a prevent defense from Iowa State going five plays, 75 yards for the Texas touchdown. And despite being up, you kind of felt like uh, Iowa State should have been up by 10 points at halftime, not just three. But you go into the fourth quarter if you're Iowa State, you're up 20-7. to Texas then scores 14 unanswered points, is leading 21-20 with five minutes left. And of course then, then Texas shoots itself in the foot. The Texas defense forces Iowa State into an, uh, is it Asley or Asali? I don't know. The Iowa State kicker. Um, this guy, I've seen his name all over. I've heard his name a million times on TV, but for whatever reason, I can't get his name right. The Iowa State kicker with two minutes left, 42-yard field goal attempt, and you're thinking to yourself, okay, uh, he's missed some throughout the year. Not been great. It's getting cold. It's Ames in November. What can possibly happen? A million things can happen on this uh, field goal attempt. And then Texas jumps off sides. And if you're Tom Herman, if you're this Texas staff, you have got to be screaming to yourself. Because by the way, even if Iowa State makes the kick, even if Iowa State makes the kick, if you're Texas, you're down 23-21. You've got two minutes left to get in field goal range with Dicker the kicker, who's one of the best kickers in the Big 12, if not the best kicker in the Big 12, and is also clutch and is at multiple game-winning field goals this year. So he can do that, game-winning field goals throughout his career. But he can do that. You would feel pretty good, actually, about your chances if you're Texas. But because of the offsides, Iowa State can then milk the clock down to the final few seconds they kick through a 36-yarder, game over. Iowa State wins 23-21. to Urban Meyer and Brady Quinn of Fox Sports ripped Tom Herman a bit after this game. Um, you know, I think some of that is fair, but I, I think it kind of goes beyond Tom Herman. I think it's more of a cultural thing that has to get straightened out right now with Herman, whether it's staff-related or personnel-related. 
but too many times you've seen a mistake like this from this Texas team this year, who's now 6-4 and four after reaching a Big 12 title last year and beating Georgia in the Sugar Bowl. Uh, this is a frustrating season for Texas. There's no other way to put it. Now, the Longhorns didn't have Colin Johnson or Cade Brewer in this game, um, and those are tough losses. I get that. But also, they were held to 54 rushing yards on 26 carries. And despite the fact that they couldn't run the ball all game long, the offensive game plan on that final drive, you're at your own 15 with four minutes left, leading by one, and you go Ellinger run, Ingram run, and then an Ellinger incomplete pass. And then you punt it, which leads to the Iowa State game-winning drive. You couldn't run the ball all day. I understand wanting to milk the clock, but you got to play to win the game. Where's, uh, where's Herman Edwards when you need him? You play to win the game. You know, I mean, I thought it was a bad offensive game plan all afternoon, and that kind of capped it off. Now, the Texas secondary played well. That unit's getting healthy. It's maturing. Guys were in man defense all night. Todd Orlando was bringing bodies um, on Brock Purdy, and they held their own outside of the DeShante Jones busted touchdown in the third quarter. Outside of that, the defense played pretty well, especially in the secondary, and you have to come away with this season feeling like it's a blown year for Texas. You've got a stud quarterback in Sam Ellinger, I think the best quarterback in the Big 12 this year. Um, I know the numbers are going to tell you Brock Purdy, but going into the season, I thought if I could have one quarterback in this conference, it would have been Sam Ellinger. OU was vulnerable this year. They're still vulnerable this year. And Texas is now most likely not even going to play for a Big 12 title. Uh, it's a blown season for Texas. There's no other way to look at it. And uh, that's disappointing if you're a UT fan after how last year went. Any credit to Iowa State from Craig on Periscope? Of course, Craig. Of course, man. I mean, Charlie Kohler is, is fun to watch. Brees Hall had himself another 100-yard game. Uh, Brock Purdy is now looking down at Seneca Wallace's 2002 records. He's got 3,200 passing yards, 3,400 total yards of offense this season. That's the second-best single-year mark for an Iowa State quarterback. He will break Seneca's record, by the way. And, yeah, Iowa State played really good defense. The run D was good. Um, and you know what? The offense did what it had to do. I, I'm a guy who's been on Iowa State all year. I picked him to play for a Big 12 title. But it's, it's a season of what could have been for Iowa State when you lose all these close games. There's no other way to look at it. It's a season of what could have been for the Iowa State Cyclones. But they get the win, 23-21, and it's still a team that I wouldn't want to play. I'll tell you right now, this is a top 25 caliber team at Iowa State. Um, they've just lost too many close games. And in the end, you got to win some of those. You, you, you have to. I'm sorry. You have to win some of these games. All right. Let's dive into the final game of the night. Baylor and Oklahoma. And the Sooners come back from 28-3 to down to win this game 34-31. What a blown opportunity for the Baylor Bears. At 28-3, I'm texting people that are in the stadium in Waco and McLean Stadium, and they're like, pinch me, Pete. I mean, they are just beside themselves. They were 10-point dogs entering this game. You've got college game day in the house all day. You've got ABC, National TV, Herb Street, Fowler, and you are beating OU like a drum 28-3. Why did Baylor lose this game? It's not the defense. I know OU, you know, OU outscored them 24 uh, nothing in the second half. It's not the defense that lost Baylor this game. It's the offense. There's no other way to put it. It is the Baylor offense that lost this game. 
The second half drives for Baylor went as follows. Fumble on the first play from scrimmage. Three and out. Three and out. Three and out. Interception to close out the game. This OU offense is not what it was under Baker Mayfield. It's not what it was under Kyler Murray. Jalen Hurts is a really nice player. He's a heck of a stopgap quarterback to have for a year, but he's not Baker and he's not Kyler. Hell of a stopgap, but he's not those two guys. And hey, most people aren't. They were two number one overall draft picks. But you cannot have your defense on the field for 25 minutes in the second half against a Lincoln Riley coached offense, even with Jalen Hurts at quarterback and expect to slow them down and hold on for the win. This is on the Baylor offense. Now, the OU defense, to its credit, made some adjustments. They locked down on Charlie Brewer in the running game in the second half. In the first half, he was finding seams. He was gaining 5 to 10 yards at a time, and it was you know it was just a different game in the second half. They had a spy on Brewer. It was smart to do. I'll give Alex Grinch credit for that, but Brewer could not find any running room at all in that second half. They locked him down. After 65 rushing yards for the game, I don't think Brewer had really any in the second half. So the OU defense deserves a lot of credit. And Jalen Hurts deserves a lot of credit as well. You know, I mean, this guy was down 28-3, and he led the Sooners to the biggest comeback in program history. No, Think about that. No quarterback in the history of Oklahoma, with all the Heisman winners they've had, all the rock star players they've had at that position, no quarterback in the program history has ever led OU from 25 points down to win a game. Jalen Hurts did it. He didn't wilt under the pressure. He made those mistakes in the first half with the fumble and the interception that led to Baylor touchdowns, but he stayed calm, he stayed cool, and he stayed collected. And he finished with almost 300 passing yards. He had uh, four touchdown passes, 27 carries, 114 yards. And the Lincoln-Riley game plan in the second half was outstanding. He didn't go for the big strike. Now, they didn't have C.D. Lamb, so maybe that's part of it. But they didn't go for the big strike. He used his offense to also be his best defense. He wore down that Baylor defense with 10-plus play drives, keeping the ball, not taking the deep shot, especially since there was no C.D. Lamb, and it was brilliant. It was brilliant play calling by Lincoln-Riley, and to his credit, Jalen Hurts and those guys executed it to a T. It's heartbreak for Baylor. It's heartbreak for that fan base. I can't imagine how that fan base is feeling this morning. But I'll tell you right now, uh, Baylor can't reach the college football playoff. They just can't. You know, I mean, if they had some massive rock star non-conference win, maybe. They already weren't getting a lot of respect from the college football playoff committee, which was asinine in my opinion. They showed themselves on the big stage. The program played well on the big stage. This is not Art Briles slinging around, score 65 points a game, Baylor. This is not who they are. They have a great defense, one of the best in the conference. And look at what they did in that first half. The second half was a team that got tired. It was a defense that got worn down. But this is a real solid Baylor defense. They're the real deal. It's why I took them to cover this spread at home. Because I said, I get the better defense at home to cover a double-digit spread. Sign me up. Sign me up. And that's exactly what you saw. It's exactly what you saw. OU is still in the college football playoff hunt. What OU should want to have happen is for Baylor to win out. OU should be rooting for Baylor to beat Texas this weekend and go into the Big 12 title game with one loss and hopefully still at that point for Baylor a top 15 ranking. And then OU's got to beat them 
uh, in the Big 12 championship to have a shot at the college football playoff. That's how it would have to go. So the picks, by the way, we went, uh, let's do the math here real quick. 1-0-1, 1-1-1. Uh, we went 3-1-1 in the picks this week. After a 4-0 week last week against the spread, and the week before that was 2-1. Uh, so that's 6-1, 9-2-1 uh, the last three weeks for the picks. All right? So we're turning things around here down the home stretch of the season. 9-2-1 against the spread in the last three weeks. So get on board, mybookie.ag. Use the promo code BIG12. They're matching your sign-up bonus right now. We appreciate all you guys, as always, recapping uh, Week 12 and the Big 12. By the way, we've got podcasts that are going to drop midweek only on podcasts, not on Facebook Live, not on Periscope, So, or on YouTube. So you got to go subscribe to our podcast, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts, and we will uh, check in with you guys midweek. Please do leave that rating, review, subscribe, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. I will send you a free Heartland College Sports koozie in the mail if you do that. Just send me a screenshot of your rating and review to Pete Mundo, M-U-N-D-O, at heartlandcollegesports.com. Appreciate you guys so much. Great set of games this past weekend for the Big 12, and uh, we'll talk to you midweek. I'm Pete Mundo. We're heartlandcollegesports.com. Thanks so much, guys.